Out of town civilians, and welcome to another episode, yet another episode, three episodes, three days in a row, three days in a row with an episode. Oof. Escapingthecave.com. Todzilla X-Pod, Escaping the Cave. I've completely screwed my own intro up. Usually that's a pretty good sign. Usually. Not always. I'm your friendly host, Todd. Known in some parts as your friendly neighborhood, Toddzilla. Those parts are my own parts. I'm the only one that ever calls myself that. Now you don't. It's April 29th, 2020. I think it's a Tuesday, right? <laughs> Wednesday. I know that's the thing. I know I'm not the only one who's having... I can't even keep track of the track of the month, for Christ's sakes. Some days. I've been locked in here more than five weeks. Not pitying myself. A lot of people have it worse than I do. Far worse than I do. Good God. It's Wednesday. Woo! Mayday's on the way. Workers of the uh, world unite. Let's have a wobbly party next week, shall we? You want to have a wobbly party? You want to come over and wobble with me? I will purchase any kind of alcohol you want to the best Eugene Debs costume wearer. What's that? That's what, Friday? Yeah, I think so. Bernie. Get the Bernie hair going. That'd be great. Well, I've rediscovered my sense of humor a little bit, obviously. That's good. Good for you, anyway. Although, I'm not sure. I uh, I, I improvised the, the last episode completely. I just sat here and talked. This one, I went back and decided I was going to sort of bullet point things out a little bit so I had more of a road map. I'm not so sure about this. We'll see. Right now, I'm in a good mood. Right now, I'm happy. I've been yelling at commercials all day. I'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, what else? Uh, one thing I did want to point out, uh, sort of a news item, a current events thing. Woo-hoo. Justin Amash. You seen this? Guy up the road there in Grand Rapids. He's the uh, former uh, teabagger guy. He was a Republican, became a Freedom Cox dude. Woo! Trump completely offended all of his sensibilities, all of his whatever you want to call it. He doesn't like Donald Trump anymore. He's been uh, railing against Donald Trump for over a year. Oh, well, he has formed a presidential campaign exploratory committee. Justin Amash is considering running for president. My first reaction to this, I like Justin. I like that independence. I like the willingness to to be a Republican and stand up in the face of derp nation. Uh, That was my first reaction. Maybe I'll vote for him. (laughs) I'd be tempted. I would. I would prefer to vote for him than either of the other two. In a normal year. In an idealistic world, sure. And then my second thought came to me. He's this year's uh, Jill Stein. Somebody there to siphon votes away and make sure Trump wins this election. Maybe this is somebody who's going to siphon votes away from Trump this time. I mean, he is a Tea Party dude. I don't care what they call the Freedom Caucus these days. That is, that is the Tea Party. They have rebranded themselves. The, the, the brand was sour. Well, they call themselves Freedom Caucus. Now, well, that's Justin Amash. He is a small government, uh, sort of an austerity hound. You remember the Tea Party back 10 years ago? That's this guy, politically and ideologically, religiously speaking. Not typically somebody I would enjoy uh, voting for, but that's the guy. So, is the, is the plan, and will this work out, practically speaking? where he's the Jill Stein of the right this year. I don't know. I would be inclined to believe with Dementia Joe's cognitive fade. You missed my political rant the other day. I never posted it. I'm sorry about that. If I have time, maybe I'll post some of it today. But with uh, Dementia Joe on one side, batshit Donnie over there on the other side, this guy is going to seem like Socrates. It's going to seem like Cicero has come to, the, to Washington. Mr. Cicero goes to Washington. That's what, that's what Justin Amash is going to seem like, comparatively speaking. Is he going to draw votes from both sides? Who knows? I, I am almost a member of his district. I wish I were. I want to say there's like eight or ten people who are primarying him from uh, the, the Trump side. So I wonder if he has come to the conclusion that he can't win his election. So he's decided to maybe jump into the national race. I don't know. I don't know what he's thinking. I I appreciate his independence. I really do. Even if I despise his politics. In this day and age, 
when it's all about brand purity, beyond refreshing. Refreshing is not the right word. I can't think of a better word for it, but it's, it's, it's just, oh, thank you. Please, somebody with an independent streak in them. I, I really appreciate seeing that. So I would consider voting for him. I probably won't, but I'd consider it. I mentioned that uh, last week I did a massive uh, social media purge, Facebook purge. There is nobody that I grew up with that I'm in contact with via social media anymore. Uh, That occurred about two weeks ago, two weeks ago Monday, so it's been a little over, uh, about 16 days now. And I've got six people who are active on Facebook. I've got some travel contacts in there, about 17 of them. They never post anything. We never interact. They're just sort of there in case I want to ping them or they come to the U.S. and want to hang out, you know, something down that line. So there are six people in my list. Only two or three of those guys uh, post with any frequency at all. And also my, my Twitter feed, absolutely empty. The only thing I see when I log on to Twitter is me. Now, the result of this, I think about this tonight, kind of analyzing how things have gotten a little bit different here in the last 16 days and my social agitation level. (laughs) I know it may not seem that way sometimes, but it's plummeted. I did mention that a lot of the people that I purged out out of my list, I don't despise them anymore. I have this mental picture in my head now that they're actually sensible people, despite the role they play on Facebook, Twitter, or whatever, right? So yeah, the agitation level has dropped. There's almost no misinformation, disinformation reaching me at this point, at least from the computer. All right? The sources that I do receive now are almost all via either commercials, advertising, and national quote-unquote TV news, which I can barely stand to watch at all. That's something new as well. I can't even, I can't watch anything, any of the news networks at this point. Let's put it this way. I cannot watch any ad-based network now. Anything with commercials without it turning into this weird version of like a Mystery Cynic Theater 3000. It's like this. It basically turns into a semi-amusing vitriolic monologue. It runs nonstop through every commercial break as these twats try to tether their brands to supposed acts of pandemic philanthropy. They're everywhere, and there's always a piano music bed, a sad music in these times. Oh, in this new normal. Oh, here, you want to make things, you want to make things seem normal again? Quit telling us how unnormal they are. Quit coming on there and showing us what you're doing during the pandemic. Just do it. It's great that you're doing it. It's great that you're donating money and all that. Don't come on TV and tell us about it. Do it out of the goodness of your heart without putting your brand name on it. That'd be great. That'd be fantastic. Give me a scream and use car commercial again at that at this point because that will seem normal. I'm sick and tired of these ads. During this time, we're all coming to... Fuck you. Just stop it. Despite that, I am not agitated. (laughs) I despise Subaru. I've despised Subaru for years. I have been... They have been a target of my ire for for a decade and a half. I hate Subaru. Hate them. Hate them. Hate them. Hate them. Subarus, those little outbacks... They became sort of like a cliche trope out west, out in the southwest. If you're around Denver, you're in Santa Fe, you go up to Portland, wherever, anywhere out west, you can always find a granola hippie driving a Subaru Outback covered with those stupid bumper stickers. It was so common and so ridiculous and so cliche. I started taking pictures of them when I lived in Santa Fe. I got a little folder full of these things. I hate Subaru. Love, it's what makes a Subaru. Quack. Love this. Oh, love. Love marks. It's love marks. Google the word love marks. It's a book. It's an advertising book. Try to tether your stupid identity to the brand. I'm a hippie. I'm all about love and togetherness. I think I should buy a Subaru because they reflect my values. Fuck you. I hate Subaru. Subaru can suck it. Maybe I'll title the episode, Subaru, suck it. Or Subaru can suck it. Whatever, take this and suck it, Subaru. 
I despise you. I didn't want to do this before, but now I want to dress up like the bastard Ramsey Bolton. And I want to flay these fuckers right in Winterfell's little plaza. The entire Subaru organization. I want to flay them. And beyond that, I would like someone to find out whose idea it was to connect biracial wokeness to a fucking candy bar. Find them and kill them for me, please. Am I inciting violence in my podcast? I don't think so. I don't think so. If I am, it's justifiable. Who is it that decided to attach biracial wokeness to a fucking candy bar? Beat them at least, please, and film it and send it to me. I'll add you to my Facebook friends list if you do that. <laughs> You'll be one of the privileged few. Whose idea was that? That's pretty much how it goes when I watch TV now. And that, I didn't really intend it that way, but that's pretty much what I sound like on my couch as I watch television these days. I can't watch any ad-based network. Especially now with the pandemic shit. I seriously, I would take a screaming, you know, uh, a screaming moron trying to sell me a used Mazda at this point. I, I, I Give me some hype. <laughs> give me some generic fucking hype. Quit telling me about the new normal and how awesome you are. Fuck you. Do your duty. Do your philanthropy. Quit telling me about it. How much money are you spending on the advertising to tell me about your philanthropy when you could just be taking that advertising money and doing some more fucking philanthropy? Jag off? Shut up! I'm sick of you. I need a button. There you go, Subaru. Fuck you. One more. Hmm. Anyway, that's my TV uh, watching experience. It's a really good thing. My girlfriend occasionally thinks I'm funny. She's a fucking saint. Can you imagine living with this for the better part of 18 years? And still my girlfriend. <laughs> Common law in four states. <laughs> that's not possible. Anyway, yeah. She should get like a reparations check from the federal government for living with this for 17 years. And not killing me in my sleep. I do think she's trying to poison me. The food, though. <sighs> anyway, I have noticed something else in the last couple of weeks, and perhaps you're noticing it, too. <laughs> the psychological effects of the quarantine. I've increased a little bit. I've noticed it. Especially, you know, this, this has come since I've gotten uh, really off the, the Facebook uh, uh, dopamine drip, the, the mainline feed, the socialization feed with the avatars up there in the, the virtual avatar land. Uh, yeah, they've got, it's gotten a little bit worse. I feel a little more isolated, a little more cut off. Uh, but coincidentally, I mentioned at the beginning of this show that this is three days in a row that I've podcasted. The material output has been better. It's been good. Not completely perfect, you know. Even so, even with the, the psychological effects of this, with the quarantine and everything, I'm not 100% sure that that's a bad thing. It feels like, I said this, I think, last week, whenever it was, that I feel like I've hit a reset button. It's strange, and I, I don't want to try to evaluate it too much because when I, when I go through periods like this, usually in retrospect, I don't know, months later, you can, I can see things better after the fact, but it's usually a point of either some kind of growth change something, the discomfort usually proves to be a good thing. And I feel like that's where I'm at right now. I think it's a combination of that. I think it's a combination of getting, getting rid of everybody from my past, from my ancient history. Should I talk about that? I didn't before. Maybe I will. I'll give you the, the, the Cliff Notes version here. I'm not going to name any names. There are a few people down there that I... <laughs> I think still listen to the pod. Wouldn't know, but hi there if you are. Still love you. Just don't be a douchebag. But here's what happened. This is something I've been considering for over a year, and I finally saw someone who sort of exhibited the traits that I was subconsciously, even consciously, afraid that I was indulging in myself. 
for a long time. I left my hometown 17, blah, blah, 13 years, 23 years ago. I can't do math. I'm completely improvising this. Normally, I'd have the figure written out here. I left my hometown in 2000, uh, 1997. So that would be 23 years ago uh, last month. Clean break. This is before social media. I kept in touch with a few people, but it was by phone. I don't even think we emailed. And I was on the radio up here, so occasionally people would call me at the station. And, you know, that was it. I moved on. It was like I was reborn. It was a complete break. And I went off on a completely different track, right? And between 1997 and when this piece of shit platform, the blue and white menace, found its way into my life, I completely changed. And this thing found its way into the zeitgeist, zeitgeist, however it's pronounced, exactly when I was going through some massive, massive life shifts. 2008 is when I found Facebook, when it really started to, to explode. 2008, 2009, that coincided completely accidentally with my traveling. So this is when the, the class reunion shit started. And these people that had not had any contact with me at that point in 11 years, sometimes much longer, sometimes at that point it was 20 years. They're like, who the hell is this guy? Some liked it, some didn't, but invariably. And I think this is accurate because I've done episodes on this. Go back and look at the virtual Salinas episode from last year. Something happens when you leave your hometown and you take off. Something used to happen. I I need to rephrase it. I wish I would have thought about this. I wish I would have known I was going in this direction. I would have been uh, a little bit more prepared. Bear with me. It used to be that when you left your hometown, you packed up the, the Mazda, and you put your boxes in there, you went off, got your apartment, and you cut ties with people because there was no way to keep in touch with everybody from your past. That's how the world worked for eons. Life changed. People moved on. People let people go. Wasn't the best thing in the world to lose touch with all these people. But you know what? If you really wanted to stay in touch, you could write letters. And then you could make phone calls. And then when the 90s came around, you could send emails. If you really wanted to stay in touch with people, you could. It was a way to manage your relationships and keep relevant people in your life if you wanted to. There was no obligation. None. It was just an unwritten thing. If you fell out of touch, well, you weren't relevant in each other's lives. You didn't even give it a second thought, really. They just faded away until you saw them at, I don't know, Walmart. Or saw him on the street or something like that. Then you go, oh, hey, 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 this is great. You catch up. How you been? Blah, 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 blah. Let's keep in touch this time. All right, sure. No. <laughs> 90% of the time it didn't happen that way. You understood it. So Facebook comes along and boom, it's this class reunion, man. This horde, this horde of people from my, my youth graveyard. The only way to really look at it. These ghosts, these long-dead people are coming at me in the form of friends' requests every single fucking day at the end of my first year of hitchhiking. So I'm blogging, and it was bizarre because I was a completely different human being, and I was happy about that because the human being I was between 1990 and 1997, before I got into radio, I was a drunk. My entire life consisted of... Occasionally working, working just enough to make enough money to buy beer on the weekend and go out and try to get laid and hope that I didn't get a DUI. That was my life. I hated it. I was on the brink of, I was on the cusp. Had I stayed there much longer, I'd be dead by now. I'd either be dead or I'd be in jail. I hated life. I hated going to work in a factory Every single day doing the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. I wouldn't have committed suicide, but I would have killed myself eventually. That's the path that I was on. Okay? And then I got into radio. I I got lucky with that. Not really lucky. I manufactured it, but I got a lucky break in 1997, and that was my ticket. 
That was my ticket on the Titanic. I shouldn't say it that way. I was going to say the Lusitania, but that was torpedoed. <laughs> that was my that was my passage on the Mayflower. That didn't sink. See, this is why I prepare my material. Anyway, I got out of there, started doing my radio thing, blah, 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 blah. Made a, a career for myself and started to develop in a different direction after uh, 2004. Started to move and evolve in yet another direction after radio. If I was lucky, the people that were showing up in my uh, Facebook friends list either knew me from the radio station or knew that I was doing radio. They had updated their framework, their schematic about who I was. Their impression of who I was was updated from the drunken Hilltucky to suddenly radio guy, right? That's cool. An improvement. They still had no idea who the hell I was or who the hell I'd become, especially after I transitioned from radio to the traveling. So here they are. Here are all these ghosts. And it, 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 it occurred to me almost immediately and more and more and more as time went on, is that I was competing. The person that I was becoming or had become was forced to compete with an old stereotype image of who I was at least 11 years ago, sometimes as long as 20 years back. I had not aged to these people. This is the Steinbeck thing. This is the virtual Salinas thing. When you leave your hometown and you go out and you have a life, you do it independent of everyone else. There is no passage of time with these people. Okay? They have no concept of how you've changed, what you've gone through, how you've evolved at all. It's A to Z. With no shared life and experience in between there. And I soon discovered that with a lot of people, a lot of people, and this is not their fault, they weren't doing this consciously, they weren't doing this maliciously, but I was always competing with who they thought I was, the impression that they had maintained of me from 1992. You see what I mean? They were, they were judging and evaluating me by 1992 standards. See what I mean? It's really weird. John Steinbeck, of all people, experiences. You think I'm full of shit, you go read Travels with Charlie. The Salinas part where he goes back to his hometown after something like 20 years and experiences the exact same thing. Nobody had updated the database. And he hadn't updated the database with those people who did not leave that he hadn't seen in 20 years as well. That happened, that, that happened too. Anyway, what happened, the final straw here, was I was watching a political debate, one of the last political debates that I lurked on. I, I silently watched it happen. And there's a guy. He and I are slightly similar, very different types of human beings, but our lives have a slightly similar track as far as Hiltucky goes. Our foundations, our roots, both grew up dirt poor, inferiority complexes, I'm sure, as far as uh, you know, the economic foundations of our lives. And... Also, where they went. And I saw this guy, very smart dude. Incredibly smart guy. He's always been smart. And he's done very well for himself. He's worked his ass off and he has accomplished so much more than probably most people thought he ever would. Except him. He knew it. I remember this guy. He and I hung out a little bit once upon a time. And he had this, this, this air of confidence about it. He knew what he was going to do. He knew he was going to do something significant. He had a plan. And you know what? He accomplished it. And what I noticed, there were little elements of this. He wants to make sure that everybody knows where he came from and what he's done and how successful he is. He's still basing his own I guess, perception of how he's seen on 1990. And he's constantly, constantly trying to reinforce how far he's come and what he's done. He's experiencing, I think, something very similar to what I did. I haven't talked to him about this. I, this is just you know an observation that I had, a familiar scent that I picked up from this thread. He wants everybody he grew up with to know he's not that person anymore. Look what I've done. 
I was doing the same thing. And I got sick of it. I got sick and fucking tired of logging on here and seeing people who have no idea who the hell I am, who the hell I've become. And a lot of those people do know who I am, do know kind of what I've become as a human being since then. But, and they'll, they'll argue this till their dying day, till they're out of breath, till they're blue in the face. I can tell. They, the way that when, it, when we interact in person, I can tell they're still, they're still gauging me on the image that they had emblazoned into their minds decades ago. I can tell. Just little cues, man. Do you have any social skills? Can you tell? Can you pick up on social cues anymore? Or are you just the the cyber robot? (laughs) I, I can do that really well. I honed that skill hitchhiking. It saved my ass. I can pick up these cues. They don't want to do it. I don't think they're doing it intentionally. But that was the final thing. I saw him doing this, and I'm like, you know what? I'm not imagining any of this shit. And if he's doing it, all right, that's all I need to see. And everything else that I talked about as far as disinformation and agitation, propaganda, avatar, the the consensus, all the data is in. Why the hell am I doing this any fucking more? And there's no way to avoid it. The way this platform is set up, that if you've got a few people kept in there, you're inevitably going to encounter the other ones that you don't want. And if you're, if you're just ignoring them, so you're not interacting with the people you don't want, why the hell are you bothering? Texting still works. Email still works. You can still listen to my podcast. Hi. I don't need you on Facebook anymore. That's why I did it. And it was hard. It was really hard. It was a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. Because a lot of those people I still have affection for. But I can't. I cannot do it anymore. Even the ones, some of the people that I do have some level of affection for, I can tell. It's still, it's still the mullet-wearing, beer-drinking redneck. That's who they see in their mind. 25 years later. And there's something else. And I know you've heard about this before. That when you... uh, find yourself in the presence of people you haven't seen in decades, people you haven't interacted with, that schematic doesn't sort of update itself. You start to play those old roles from the last time you probably hung out and saw each other. Regardless of what's happened, the interpersonal dynamic picks itself up where it left off a lot of times. And it takes a lot of work to update that. And sometimes you can't. Sometimes a lot of people can't do that. I've noticed that as well. I don't like that. So why am I doing it? That was the question I kept asking. I saw this dude sort of showing off, making sure that everybody knew how successful he was and that he was not that guy that they that he thinks everybody remembers him as. The Salinas stuff. Why am I bothering with this? Why can't just let him go? Let him go. If there's still going to be Relevant uh, members of my cast moving forward, my life's cast, if they're still going to be on the stage every now and then, we'll stay in touch. If not, we won't. And the wild card is that now, in the last 11 years, Facebook has made it so easy for everybody to stay in touch that we've forgotten how to put forth effort. (laughs) We've forgotten the old way of doing this. Say, hey, make a phone call. Hey. Send an email. If you're not in the friends list, oh my God, it's so hard to keep in touch. I just, okay, well, you know what? We know how to handle this. We have experience handling this. I did it for hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years. I, for one, am okay with that. Not everybody from every part of your life is meant to follow you like herpes through every other phase of your life. It's too much. It's too much. You don't have to hate them. You don't have to completely ignore them. 
But you don't have to bring them along for everything. You don't give everybody a key to your living room for a reason. Sometimes they don't leave. <laughs> I feel like things are, are sort of starting to realign back to where they should be. It's been a significant process. It's, it's, been, it's gone forward. It's, it's stumbled backwards. It hasn't been easy, man. This was a lot harder than I thought it was, would be. I mean, I started talking about digital detox, I think, on my trip in 2016. And it was hard. It's an incredibly, it, it shouldn't be in your mind, logically thinking. Well, it shouldn't be that hard to get rid of Facebook. Fuck it. It's incredibly difficult. It's how we interact and socialize now with people who are not in our direct, immediate circle of influence. It's hard to do, despite everything, despite the negativity, despite all of it. That is a lot. There are a lot of factors there. I've, I've talked about dopamine addiction. I've talked about performance addiction. I think that's a huge thing. It's hard to explain it all in comprehensive terms without turning it into some sort of an academic thing. But it's been hard. It's almost like quitting smoking. I've made this connection before where you oh, I'll just have one and all of a sudden you're, you're smoking a pack again. But this time I feel like <clears throat> with what I was talking about before, with the realization from that dude, seeing what I was afraid I was doing, seeing that in someone else, I think really, I think finally, got me to the point where I'm ready to do this. I'm now 99.5% convinced that uh, the most effective and efficient treatment, as opposed to a solution here, treatment to the state of informational anarchy and division is incredibly simple, and I'm pretty sure you've got a really good idea where I'm going with this. Kill free-range access to all social media. Neuter the platform. Despite the howls of protest, kill it. Neuter it. Castrate it. Just like Calvin Coolidge, about 100 years ago, killed radio waves as an en masse public entitlement. You could have your own radio station about this time in the 20th century, about 100 years ago. Everybody could have one. All you had to do was buy the equipment and you could broadcast. It caused immense problems. They had to regulate it. These platforms that we're on right now, all these social media platforms, they are in fact, broadcast outlets. How many people can you reach if you've got a couple of thousand friends? How many people can you reach if you've got 10,000 followers on Twitter? These are text-based broadcast units in your pocket right now. We have no concept of that. We're frogs in the pot technologically. But the ability to reach around the globe instantaneously, in my opinion, and it's not a humble one at this point, turns these devices into a broadcast unit. I think they should be treated as such. Treat them as such. Banish the comment sections as well. Fox News comment section, the CNN comment section. That shit should have been thrown on the cultural trash heap 15 years ago. If you do those two things, eliminate... Eliminate, to a great degree, all of social media, and you eliminate the comments sections. And you're going to treat the, uh, the problem pretty effectively. And if the herd wants to moo, moo to the global multitudes. That's fine, but kill the egocentric instant gratification, make them earn the privilege. I know that's going to go against the grain, but think about it. Russia, China, Donald Trump's uh, Twitter dispatches from the toilet, all the flyby agitation. 
domestic disinformation as well as influencers. The influencer. All of this is either cured or greatly mitigated by just a bold act of enforced virtual distancing. Think about the world that we would live in right now if you just heavily regulated social media and got rid of uh, the comment sections. Where's the Russian disinformation and Chinese disinformation, the domestic disinformation? How is it going to propagate itself? How is it going to spread? That problem goes away. Especially the domestic disinformation stuff. Most of what Russia's doing now and China's doing now is, is basically just amplifying domestic disinformation campaigns we have already here. You want to broadcast on the radio? You want to own a broadcast outlet? You got to get a license from the FCC. Why shouldn't you have a license to have a social media account to broadcast your wisdom, your thoughts, your bovine chants all around the world? License it. Make it accountable. If you post disinformation, then you get fined or you get banned. You get your license pulled. Just listen to the bovine. There was Alex Jones. I think it's a great idea. I really do. And I think we're headed that way. I've talked on this show a number of times that eventually the gatekeepers are going to come back. And Calvin Coolidge, the FCC, was a radio, it turned into radio's gatekeeper. It ended the broadcast anarchy of the 19 teens, the late 19 teens. Too many voices out there. The signal, the actual signal, the organized signals couldn't cut through all of the bullshit of Timmy farting into his microphone over there on 3rd Avenue. It got to be too much. Too much static, not enough signal. The signal-to-noise ratio was way out of whack in the early days of radio. That's exactly what's happening now. This contributes to data overload. It contributes to the loss of trust, the loss of truth, the loss of even the energy to try to find it. Because too many people have their microphones, their metaphorical microphones on right now. That's it. That is it. Oh, but what about our opinions? Listen, man. Instead of one ministry of truth peddling official bullshit to the collective herd, right now, as things sit, in this environment, we have countless carnival barkers spewing and monetizing their version of the very same thing to our fragmented and antagonistic mobs. Maybe you think one of these informational environments is better than the other. The ministry of the truth or the the propagation of the massive avenues of bullshit. Maybe you think one of those is better than the other. Is more deceptive speech the cure for spin and amateur propaganda? Is that your philosophy? Perhaps you see our profit-based media quote-unquote influencers as the modern equivalent of Greek philosophers. Maybe they're engaged in thoughtful dialogue in your mind. Is Don Lemon the equivalent of a diverse Roman senator? Is he passionately discoursing with his noble colleague Sean Hannity over there in the, uh, in the ancient forum? Is that how you see what's happening now? Alex Jones, where does he fit? Look, these cultural specimens, so many on the internet, and so many who have a voice right now, screaming into the cacophony of nothing. They're specimens who are closer to P.T. Barnum, William Jennings, Brian, Father Coughlin, and the ShamWow guy. Remember him? ShamWow! Woo! If you believe this is an actual functioning democracy in this environment, you're deluding yourself. We have no way of knowing anything in this noise. We cannot pick out, pick any nugget of truth out from the cacophony of bullshit. There are too many voices screaming at us every single day. It's a cacophony. I'm going to say it again. I love this phrase. In fact, this is going to be the title of the show. It's a cacophony of nothing. Everybody's screaming and nobody listening. There's no regulation of anything. There's no commitment to truth. Only exposure and notoriety. Analytics. Becoming a personality. 
<clears throat> the celebrity economy. Look, if you think this is an actual functioning democracy, it's an adolescent assumption, man. It precludes another adolescent assumption that an informed and enlightened public making rational choices regarding the public good actually exists. That's asinine. There is no informed and enlightened public making rational choices regarding the public good. Now they can't do it. It's impossible. How do you get, how do you make, how do you inform, how do you educate yourself between propaganda A and propaganda B? How, do you, how are you supposed to do that? How are you supposed to be properly informed when all you have to choose from is boutique A or boutique B? Each trying to bullshit you, each trying to hoodwink you, each trying to exploit the firewall in your psyche to promote one agenda or the other, or if you've already got the stereotype in place, ha ha ha, well, here you go. This is, let me serve your ideology on a digital platter for you. How are you supposed to, even if you wanted to, how are you supposed to combat ignorance, misinformation, disinformation, and make a rational choice about anything? Where are you getting your information? How, if you can't get the information, how can you presume to sit there and say that this democracy is functioning? It defies common sense. Basic common sense. Second grade common sense. A second grader could figure this out. Somehow we can't. Or we don't care. Which is it? Can't or don't care? Whatever. Affects the same. And I'm going to take this a step further for you. You know, the, the, the adolescent assumption that the uh, 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 informed and enlightened public are making rational choices regarding the public good, that precludes another one. And this one's a little more controversial. This one's going to sting. You should brace yourself. Precludes another asinine assumption that the masses, this one's so ridiculous, this one's even more ridiculous, that the masses somehow possess an inherent and apparently immaculately conceived collective wisdom. That apparently Sky Daddy got lost on his way to Mary's chamber and humped our herd instinct into some kind of divinity. Is that it? It's a narcissistic and self-important assumption coming from the, the 17, 16th, 1700s, and it persists despite everything. Look around you, everything we can see with our own eyes. The wisdom of the masses, populism is bullshit. Populism is pandering for power. The people decide, the people know, but the people know shit. They can't know anything. They know what they want. They know their wants and their desires and their tribalism. And they're going to follow anybody who panders to that. The masses know dick. Now, do they have a right to self-determination and all that? Well, we've talked about that before as well. The theory of democracy is that the masses have the right <laughs> to decide, even against their own self-interest, and they also deserve to get what they got coming good and hard. And that may be true, but that is completely separate from the masses. The wisdom of the masses, that does not mean that the masses know a damn thing. I have put forth in this podcast before how mobs are inferior organisms to, to the individual cells that make a mob. Well, that's what the public is. That's what the populist public is. It's a gathered mob. That's the mob. Behold the sounds of the mob. That's the wisdom of the public. Are you hearing that wisdom? Tonzilla Files, listen to the wisdom. I never considered that. Well, you've changed my life with this. Huh. That's the wisdom of the mob right there. You just heard it. The people. It's the people, all right. <laughs> it has nothing to do with wisdom. It has nothing to do with collective wisdom. Collective wisdom doesn't exist. Wisdom is an individual act. Anything coming out of a herd, anything coming out of a flock is a mob mentality. And a mob mentality 
is the antithesis, my friends, of wisdom. There's an idea. <sighs> Bring things down a little bit. That uh, philosophy about democracy, that our crafted democracy was put together when information moved at the speed of horse. It was necessary to have representatives in place who could make decisions um, separate of the population because information moved slowly and sometimes action was required quickly. That's how the entire government is set up. It's how our entire foundation of government is set up. It's also part of the reason why the Constitution and everything else was meant to be a living document so people in future generations could change it as the world changed. Oh, Eureka! It's not written like the Ten Commandments in some goddamn stone. Wasn't intended to be because of that. Anyway, I digress. It's not my point. My point is that the, the, the government was crafted when information moves slowly at the speed of horse or maybe ship. A sailing vessel. Now information moves at the speed of light, literally. It's impossible to lead this kind of government in this environment. Some people say, because everything changes by the day and the government official, the politician, the leadership has to pander now to this mob. The mob of public opinion. It has to pander to the herd. And the herd is being uh, sort of stoked and emblazoned and impassioned every single day. One direction or another, how can you keep up with that? This is becoming, it's turning into mob rule. I hate to sound like a broken record all the time. I really do. But that, that, that's exactly where this is headed. It's already there. It's not even headed there. It's already there. A significant part of this problem is, but not completely. I don't even know if it's significant. It might be mm, a legitimate part, a significant part, but a big part of it is, I think, social media. Muddying the waters with disinformation. Muddying the waters with bullshit. Burying any nugget of truth under Piles and piles and piles of bullshit. Go find the truth in that mountain. It's like finding a needle in a bullshit haystack. Good luck. If you still think that frothing mobs are actually smarter than the uh, <laughs> ignorant cells comprising them, those cells that are confused and confounded, <sighs> data overload, things like that, as well as cognitive dissonance, Think about the Nuremberg rallies. Think about the wisdom of those groups. Think about the wisdom of that herd. Evidence is everywhere. Examples abound if you want to go look for them. I'm not going to do your legwork for you. Simple and comfortable truth is this. Our electorate staggers to the polls and no more sober than Vladimir Putin's. They vote over there in Russia. Oh, you're sitting there like, oh, they don't have democratic elections like we do. Well, while Russians, speaking metaphorically, I'll consume uh, Putin's personally approved vodka. We choose between Jack Daniels, Jim Beam, or if we want to seem, I don't know, sophisticated to the virtual herd, maybe we choose a pretentiously packaged box of meadow, meadow wine. <sighs> Grapes grown in western Massachusetts. Mm, Rachel Meadow. And her wine. How can you be sober? How can you know what you're voting for? How can you understand anything? How can you comprehend the truth and the reality of it? We go vote for our teams based on the last pep rally. That's all. That's it. The enlightened citizenry, even if it wanted to be, and I question that, even if it wanted to be enlightened today, it couldn't be. And thanks to this rapidly exploding, increasingly ubiquitous technology, thanks to that alone, these times are completely and uniquely new to the human experience. We don't have anything to go by. We don't have anything to go on. No foundation. No precedent. Nothing to lean on. We are the guinea pigs. We are the cyberspace monkeys. Never have we been so inundated with data, so personally connected to the entire globe it's never happened. It's never existed. Never been a situation in the entirety of human history. The only historical models that are of any use right now are those relating to behavior and are nakedly exposed examples of agitated human nature. That's it. It's the only thing we have to go on. How people behave. And it's not painting a good picture, man. 
Therefore, this floundering system of representative government, mislabeled as democracy, demands a new name, idiocracy. That's perfect. It would be great if it wasn't so uh, hack, plagiarized hackery, basically, at this point. I like mobocracy, mobocracy. Seems apt, but it's too easy. That might actually be threadbare in relation to my material by now. So, so I got nothing right now. I thought about cultocracy at one time, but that seems weird. I don't know. But whatever this thing is, whatever we decide to title it, call it, name it, it is not what we are pretending that it is. One other thing I wanted to mention, I left this out of last night's podcast. Now, the part about sort of the God-Devil parable, the duality, mankind's duality, really, is basically what that's talking about, all right? Well, each side of the God-Devil parable lives inside of each and every one of us. I think it's really easy to sort of deem someone as evil, deem them as good, deem them as bad. We always see ourselves, of course, as good, or we want other people to see us that way. That's really comfortable to think about. You're one of the good ones. They're one of the bad ones. That's sort of the, the, the standard mentality. But in my opinion, and in my experience, let's put it that way, that the good and the bad, the black and the white, the God, the devil, both sides of that reside inside of each and every individual. To some degree or another. It's really uncomfortable. And Christianity kind of handled that problem, that cognitive dissonance there. Evil's inside of me. I'm bad. I'm bad. No, I don't want to be bad. Now, Christianity handled that by externalizing the devil. Externalize God at the same time. So you're sort of just a vessel, right? <laughs> Whichever fills you, that's how you're going to behave. It's not really you. It's an external blame or credit thing. That's, that's nice for children. That's nice for, you know, unsophisticated societies, I suppose. But for anything, any kind of society that's going to move forward, it's going to evolve into something that's self-actualized and based in reality. No. Whatever that is, you can define it however you like. It resides inside of you. It resides inside of me in both, in both quantities. Once you understand that, if there's good and there's bad and everybody, it really becomes a matter, like I was talking about in the, uh, in the podcast yesterday, it becomes a matter of what you choose to look for. But not that's not exactly, it's not that simple either. Because some people, I think, I think reside a little bit more on one side, a little bit more on the other side. It's really strange. I, got, I started to think about this in terms of the human mind, the brain, the actual brain. Just as a metaphor, you know how we have the left hemispheres and we've got the right hemisphere. And people have talked about, neurologists have talked about, other people have talked about how, how sometimes people reside more in the left hemisphere as opposed to the right hemisphere. Makes you a different kind of person, more creative, more logical, more analytical, whatever. It doesn't matter. The details don't matter, but there are different sides. And if you can sort of conceptualize that. With, it's really simplistic, I think, to call it good and evil. I think it's residual DNA. I think it's residual human nature from way, way back in the jungle or before the caves. The barbaric pre-human DNA coding. The savage. And I think we continue to evolve. We haven't been living in societies all that long. Not comparatively speaking. What, 10,000 years? Something like that? a blink of the eye. That's not even a blink of the eye, evolutionarily speaking. So I think people underestimate how much of that caveman programming is still in us. 
that barbarism, that savageness, that tribalism, competitiveness, being prone to agitation, competitiveness, aggressiveness, inside of everybody. I don't care about your political, your ideological affiliation. Yes, I do. Because hippies, you don't think it resides. Yeah, love, give me a hug. Fuck you. God, just stop it. Quit denying yourself. I see socialist totalitarianism everywhere. I see socialist tribalism. I see it all the time. Unity via division. Unity via division. Tribalism. Carving up, partitioning people into this, that, or the other thing. And then on the other side of your mouth, you want to talk about love and unity. Fuck you. Stop it. Be who you are. At least accept who you are. At least acknowledge who you are. Who we are. That's how you move forward. You understand the situation in which you live, in which you exist, and you learn to work with it. Denying it doesn't work. I got a whole thing written up here about uh, human nature, socialism, beliefs, and all this other stuff. <laughs> I'm really tempted to do it, but this will that'll push this podcast probably. I don't know, close to two hours. I don't want to do that. I think we've got fragments, more than fragments. I think we've got significant chunks of that savage DNA in us. The noble savage myth, too. That's another uh, socialist, leftist sort of new age concept. That if you just get rid of society, the noble savage will flourish. Bullshit. Those savages, the, the noble savage. You got this image of like Indians, I think. Native Americans living on the plain, singing kumbaya and hugging each other. Have you read any of the histories? Do you know what the Native Americans, these other tribes, these prehistoric tribes, do you know what they did to each other in reality? They're just as barbaric. We're human beings. It's the ultimate equality. Understanding that we're all human beings. We ha all have this in us. You want to reach and achieve equality, there you have it. The Indians are just as fucked up as we are. They are just as fucked up as Europeans are. Every tribe just as fucked up as another. It's the people. It's not the society in which they live. The people create the society based on who they are. This isn't that complicated. It, it only becomes that way when you want to see yourself as a divine snowflake destined to become the humanist god. I'm divine. I mean, you're divine. <laughs> Trying to keep it a little more positive. I don't want to criticize everybody and everything. I had an idea today. I was actually going to do a character sketch on somebody, some of the other people that I met while traveling. I ran out of time. Maybe I'll do that next time. Anyway, I'm going to finish this up. Considering the brain metaphor... <laughs> Right? The left side, right side. I got this from psychology today. And the part of the brain that connects uh, the two hemispheres of the brain is called the corpus callosum. I hope I said that right. It contains a bundle of neural, uh, neuronal fibers found in humans and other high-order mammals that allows the two hemispheres to talk to one another. It's called the corpus callosum. Really doesn't matter what it's called, but it's the, the place, the intersection of the two Hemispheres of the mind. Now, if you continue this brain metaphor, and you've got the left hemisphere and the right hemisphere, you've got the barbarian, the savage over here, and you've got the guy, the, the this part of the species that's trying to evolve. We as human beings tend to exist as the corpus callosum. We're right there in the middle. That's where I think we live our lives. And I think that is where the internal conflict comes, sort of the internal dissonance. I think that's where a lot of the societal conflict comes. I think that's where agitation hits us because it sends us over to the side of our, our duality, our split. Agitation sends us to the savage. The savage loves it, gets him going. And if you can trigger a savage, if you can provoke a savage to do your work for you. Now, this is Jacques We've already talked enough about that. Anyway, it's an interesting idea. I have not, obviously polished it yet. I haven't really put a lot of thought into it. I just came up with it uh, maybe an hour before I sat down here. But I think it's really interesting. I think it's really interesting and I would like to see in my dream of dreams the society that could be created by a people who accepted 
that they had both of that in them collectively. Each and every one of them understood that it resided within them. Accepted it. Instead of trying to just marginalize evil as being over there while you over here are good. Oh. Good and full of yourself. Was this a negative episode? I don't know. It's kind of what I do. (laughs) Three days in a row. Incidentally, I resurrected this podcast one year ago today, April 29th of 2019. It's been a year since I've been back podcasting. Kind of. And this is going to be episode number 78, so not too bad. Escapingthecave.com, that's my website. You can check out the travel tales over at tonzillax.com. That's my other website. Make sure your uh, podcast subscription feeds are set up to uh, Escaping the Cave. Please and thank you. I think I got another one of these coming tomorrow. I got a stack of stuff here. Stack of recent stuff, too. If not tomorrow, probably next week, early next week. We'll see. Thank you ever so much for clicking in. Do appreciate your patronage. Until next time, so long. Mm-hmm.